0: We really need your prayers this morning because this morning's message is probably the most challenging for a couple of reasons. First of all, when the Lord starts calling to your heart and you start getting uncomfortable, you say, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that's the first challenge. The second challenge is do it all now. Can't do it all now. Ask the Lord what he would have you do first. So as we share with you this morning, we're really Struggling to distill a lot of information into a short period of time. Tough to do. But we just want you to know that we're praying for each of the families here. Because as you hear, you will say, I wish I had done that. Don't do that. Say, Lord, what would you have me do now? Or you may say, Lord, I want to do that. All right now. You, you know how we are. You, you know, I, I know who I'm talking to. I, I, I fall into this trap. And the answer is, Lord, what would you have me to do first? So that's my, that's my plea to you as we share from our hearts this morning because you will hear our journey distilled. And that's not an easy thing to do because we understand what is the challenge in the hearts of those who are parents, And when your children have grown and they've left the home, your burden for your children and your grandchildren, Lord, what would you have me to do? So please, when you leave here, this is a high experience. The enemy is going to do very much in his power to derail you, to discourage you, to distract you. Lord, what would you have me to do? This is the secret. We don't want you to be discouraged because just imagine As a parent, you pour your life, your time, your effort into your child, hoping to build a godly character in them. Would you consider that to be a worthy endeavor? Amen. Well, what if you knew that according to the researchers in the broader evangelical Christian world, that 70 to 88% of teens leave the church by their second year of college? Would would it bother you that 9 out of 10 teens leave the church by the time they're 20 years old? What's the reason for this? You know, researchers found that teenagers who still attend church and identify themselves as Christians have belief systems that are not consistent with Christianity. For example, they found that 85% of teens who identify themselves as Christian do not believe that truth is absolute. More than 50% believe that Jesus Christ sinned during his earthly life. What's the reason for this? 1 John 2 verse 19 says it very well. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out so that it might be revealed that they were not all of us. How did this happen? We believe that we as parents have responsibility to help our children be Christians, but this cannot do unless mommy and daddy are Christians. Then we must follow the admonition that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 6 and 7. And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall carefully teach them to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down And when you rise up. So what we want to share with you today are four areas, four principles, if you will, that we believe promote wholeness in the family. They are, first of all, to seek revival in our own life. And then take time to connect your hearts to the hearts of your children. And thirdly, teach your children diligently, as it speaks of in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then to cultivate honor and obedience.
1: I'm probably going to stick to my notes very closely because I can read faster than I can talk. And there's so much there's so much that I want to say, but the family is important to God. It has been the object of his special regard and his glorious purposes since creation. This is very evident as we look at both uh, the Old and the New Testaments and how he dealt with families there as well as um, it being evident in the beautiful revelations about God's high calling for families in the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. In ancient times, um, God covenanted with faithful men such as Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and many others, promising them unspeakable blessings if they fulfilled his glorious purpose for them to raise the kind of families that would bless all the families of the earth with the knowledge, the light of the knowledge of God. And the pen of inspiration echoes God's unchanging purpose and design for families when it tells us that a a well-ordered, a godly family recommends the truth and the life-changing power of the gospel to the world in a more powerful way than is possible through any other means. Ellen White says that he wants our families to be, quote, a light in the community, an argument that the infidel cannot gainsay, a source from which will flow streams of healing to a sin-sick world where families are falling apart. He wants our homes, therefore, we can conclude that he wants our homes to be training schools for missionaries. It is no wonder then that families have been the target of Satan's attacks in such a prominent way, especially in these last days. As we look at the world today and even as we look within the church at families, and we consider statistics such as the the ones that Edwin shared, we are compelled to ask what has gone wrong and how can we fix it? Writing to parents, Ellen White challenged us to ask ourselves a question which we believe is very timely today. Am I raising a family of children to strengthen the influence and swell the ranks of the powers of darkness? Or am I bringing up children for Christ. There's so much that we would like to share, um, you know, from our experience in the way that God has led, but Edwin mentioned just four principles that we are going to highlight, and that first principle was the need for seeking revival in our own lives. The example of your godly life as a father and as a mother is the most powerful argument to your children in favor of Christianity. Parents, she says, should in their words and deportment toward each other give their children a precious living example of what they desire them to be. Our actions do speak louder than words. When there is a disagreement, she goes on to say, between mother and father, for instance, the children will partake of the same spirit. It doesn't matter what you're telling them to do to get along with each other. They copy your spirit, the the spirit that they see you portray, mom, toward dad or dad toward mom they copy that your life is a living epistle read by your children what are they reading is God's word the standard of your life in every area is that obvious to them does your life does your attitude your demeanor reflect the love and the character of God and is that attractive to them parents, if you would educate your children to serve God and do good in the world, make the Bible your textbook. Whatever else is taught in the home or in the school, the Bible should stand first. That reminds me of Phil Mills um, family's um, ministry, my Bible first. If it is given this place, God is honored and he will work for you in the conversion of your children. So really, it's not about changing your children. It's about changing your own life that it can be a powerful appeal and testimony to your children. The second um, principle that he brought up was the need to connect our hearts to the hearts of our children and thus promote family cohesiveness because the hearts of our children need to be connected to the hearts of their siblings and the hearts of their parents. This is critical because when you have your child's heart, you will have the influence in his life needed. Um, Ellen White says, and I don't have this in my notes, but I recall where she says, you must win their hearts if you would impress religious truth upon their hearts. Make your home atmospheres, another thing she says, fragrant with tender thoughtfulness. These are things, Sean will speak a lot more about this, but these are things that will bind their hearts to you, bind their hearts to home. We live in a society that separates families from early on. You know, that's our tendency, and it's the same in the church. We're always, as we enter into activities, you know, the children go to one place, and it's no wonder that by the time our young people get to their teens, their hearts are bound to the hearts of their peers, their friends, much more than they are to the hearts of their family, mom and dad, their siblings. So we need to be very intentional in this culture in order to promote family cohesiveness. Again, there's a lot that we could say on that point. But God is willing to teach you as he is teaching us, as he has been teaching us all along the way. And there's such, there's such a wealth of um, counsel that we have at our fingertips that we normally don't take advantage of to become wise in the ways of God. Number three was teaching our children diligently according to to the fashion that is evident there in that um, chapter in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Doing it all the time. Make the admonition in Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 and 7. Make it a lifestyle. Create a holy culture in your home. Make every moment a family life, a teaching moment. They need to be learning from from the time that they're babes, and, and we need to be reinforcing this, telling them, Honey, we were made for a relationship with God, to bring him joy and glory, Revelation 4.11. They need to hear this again and again. They need to see that that is what your life is all about. We were made to worship, to honor him, to live to please him, and to make his name known among the nations, to make his name great in our neighborhood, in our church, in the world, um, to make it great among all that we come in contact with. Our children need to be confronted very early with the problem of sin And to understand that since the fall, their nature, our nature, mom and dad's nature, is is selfish and sinful, and so it is with them, ever striving for autonomy and independence. They need to understand that the only solution to the sin problem is the gospel. Take them to Jesus in prayer again and again. Help them to recognize selfishness in their lives and not just um, take it as. I remember one mother saying to me at one point, Um, They were actually going into debt to to build an addition in their home so that they could have separate rooms because the children fought so much. And so this was their, and the way she explained it was, well, my children are the type of people that are private. You know, they like their own space. When we really need to be helping our children identify sin, this is selfishness. You know, when you have to go into debt to get a different room, It is because the selfishness of your heart causes you to behave in a fashion that you cannot live in unity and share and love and give to your sibling. Wise parents don't just place boundaries on their children in order to uh, control their behavior, but they seek to expose the thoughts and the motives of the child's heart which drive his behavior, showing him the truth about himself, the truth about ourselves, and the truth about God's grace and mercy and love and his life-changing power. And the last thing I want to uh, share is the importance of cultivating honor and obedience. This needs to be a high priority for parents and something that, again, happens all the time. Uh, And you see, we cannot look at others around us as we try to teach our children the importance of honoring you know, those that God has placed in, in, in positions of leadership uh, or authority over them. We cannot look around us to see how to do that because true honor is a foreign concept in this culture, in this age of disrespect. God is honored. Ellen White says that God is honored when we show reverence, respect, and honor to those that he has placed in positions of influence, of authority and responsibility over us like ministers, teachers, parents. We fail to show honor in this, in this time in history because we don't even know what it is or why it's so important or how important it is to God. So we need to go back to God's word to learn what it means to honor. Um, for instance, honoring parents and, and ultimate, which is ultimately honoring God Um, we can see it defined in the lives of people like Isaac in his respect, trust, reverence for the godly influence, for the guidance of his father Abraham. Not just until he got to age 18 and then, okay, I'm calling my own shots. He had that high regard all throughout his life. We need to ponder how honor was displayed in the lives of Noah's children who along with their wives, they honored their father. They heard his admonitions. They entered into their ar- into the ark with them, you know, as grown men with their own families. We need to study honor as it was revealed in the lives of Ruth toward Naomi. And the Rechabites toward, toward their father Jonadab, as recorded in Jeremiah chapter thirty-five, go to those. I don't have time um, to go into the details of those stories now. But they redefine honor, friends, displaying a very high standard that is foreign in our in our modern culture. And why is that so important? I'll tell you why, because teaching them teaching them these lessons when they um, learn that honor is a sacred thing, honoring those that that deserve to be honored and respected, this is a safeguard to them. Learning this, when it becomes indelibly etched in in their souls, in their characters— um, then we as God-fearing parents and others, ministers, people who have influenced mentors, godly mentors, will have a larger influence in their lives to protect them, when they're under temptation, when they get to that age where they feel the pull of the world, having been um, having these lessons of honor and obedience and respect and reverence instilled into their souls uh, will be a safeguard against the many influences in our culture in our society that destroy spirituality.
0: So how do we practically begin to put into practice the biblical principles that we understand and we're trying to bring them into our family. How do we do this? Well the place to start we believe is in family worship. You know how many families have regular morning and evening worship in their home? We believe that this applies whether or not you have children in the home, whether your children have left the home and it's just mom and dad, or even grandma and grandpa. And the reason for this is that this is how we learn to put into practice these biblical truths. Well, we think that the biblical admonition of carefully teaching them, if you have children still in the home, is the way that we go about this. So when they were smaller, we started by doing scripture songs that we learned in family worship. And then we taught by reading the scriptures, and then we, as they got older, we began to teach them by using practical applications of what we read. We used real-life situations, and we studied how we would deal with that by using the Word of God. I would come home and they'd say, how was your day, Dad? And I would say, boy, I had this problem today. And then we would talk about how we would use God's Word to deal with that situation. So we made our worships practical, and we required that everyone be involved. And then we had it involved in our daily lives. So this is how we develop a biblical worldview in our children's hearts. You know, uh, when researcher George Barner found that less than 10% of self-proclaimed born-again Christians, this again throughout all of what is Christendom, have a biblical worldview, Sadly, he states that this percentage is probably because we, teachers, don't give our children an opportunity to develop that worldview. So we want to encourage you that if you are not already doing family worship, that you start doing so. I did not. In our first journey as as a family, I did not have this burden. I'm a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist. My father's a preacher, but I had no understanding or burden to do this. My wife did a lot of praying and by God's grace began to open my eyes to see the opportunities that worship has. It enables us to communicate to the whole family the priority of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And it also provides a consistent time for practical instruction and righteousness. And lastly, it gives us an opportunity to address any specific needs or issues that are rising up in our family. So I just want to encourage you that if you're not already doing this, by God's grace, ask him what he would have you to do and start family worship.
2: I just want to share for a moment from the perspective of a young person on family worship. It has become such a sacred and special tradition in our home. And you know, in a world where everything is rush, rush, sometimes it feels like we're doing very well just to have our time with the Lord in the morning, let alone coming together as a family and having more time with the Lord together. But I feel like it is so, so important for the reasons that my father stated and because it is so precious to come apart and take time to be still before God, singing, praying, sharing, studying the word together. It draws our hearts together and it draws us closer to the Lord. And so it is, it's such a blessing, parents, for that to be a priority, even when we're dealing with very busy schedules, which I know all of us are. One of the things that we've done in the morning, which has been a real blessing to me, is that we'll share with each other what we have learned in our personal devotional time. And you know, not only does it help to cement in my own mind what I have learned, the blessing that I have gained, but it increases that blessing sixfold because now I'm not just inspired by what I've read, but what the rest of my family members have read too. And that's, that's been a great blessing for us. I just, I want to say that I believe, from a young person's perspective, that the greatest investment that parents can make in the lives of their young people are the spiritual investment that they make into their lives. And I'm talking about practically making a difference spiritually, investing into your children's lives. You know, I know that a lot of parents are committed to their their children's walk with the Lord, but oftentimes the investment will take the form of sending their young people, their children to a place like summer camp or to a a great Christian, you know, high standards boarding academy or Pathfinders or or other activities like that. And you know, there are in those environments Many many very dedicated people, teachers who are invested in helping your children to meet the Lord and give their lives to him. And and children have gained great blessings from those places. But that cannot replace the role of the parents in the lives of their children. And I know it has made a tremendous impact on my life. When I, when I walk past my parents' bedroom door early in the morning, it's dark outside, and I've just gotten up, and as I walk past their open door, I hear my name, and I see them on their knees, and I know that they are covering my life with their prayers. I can't tell you how much that impacts me as a young person, and I can tell you that the single most reason why I have, the largest reason why I've chosen to follow after the Lord is because of the impact my parents have had on my life because I have seen how much they love the Lord, and the time that they have taken to talk with me, to share with me, to listen to my heart, even in the midst of their very busy lives and schedules. Even with all the people who have claims on their time, I know that they make this a high priority, and it's been such a blessing for me. And you know, I can tell you that as young people now, we have ourselves embraced the vision. We have chosen the Lord for ourselves. We are We are running forward in the pathway of the Lord because we love him. Our parents gave us such a a beautiful vision of God that we fell in love with him, and we wanted to spend our lives in his service. Now we love service, and we love ministry, and we have really enjoyed the last few years of our life, which we, we believe will not, the season of our life will not last very much longer, so we're squeezing out every drop of joy out of it, where we've been able to have the rare privilege of traveling together as a family and ministering to families As a family, it's been so much fun besides being such a blessing and such a challenge spiritually and helped us to grow so much. And when we leave our home, we are all committed, every last one of us, to taking the torch of truth as we start to build our own homes and our own families and taking that torch and running into the darkest places of the world, lighting it up with the gospel of Jesus Christ that has changed and transformed our own lives by his grace.
3: Well, I want to talk about. So, my parents were talking about the four principles in the beginning that make for a happy and cohesive family. And one of them was binding the hearts together. And so, one of the topics that I want to talk about now is the the, the things that come that play together to build a happy home. Because we have a happy home, but it wasn't always so. And we have grown, we have learned a lot of things. You know, the most foundational thing to having a happy family is unselfishness. I don't know anyone that doesn't want peace and happiness and joy in their family, but at the same time, we ourselves are our greatest enemy to our peace and happiness and joy. We're, we're fighting our, ourselves, so to speak. So often, the happiness in our family is ruined because he hurt my feelings. She was so insensitive to me. I can't believe they said that about me. And maybe our family members are Insensitive, maybe they are unkind at times. (laughs) But at the same time, if we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put them on Jesus, what was his example? Ephesians 5, verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. Or God so loved the world that he gave, or in this was manifested the love of God toward us because God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's in 1 John. There is no greater truth in regards to a family than that a happy family must be an unselfish family. And that that unselfishness must be expressed in acts of kindness and love toward one another. It must be unselfishness in action all the time. You know, as, a, as an illustration of this, Well, first, before I I give the illustration, there's nothing that can quickly, more quickly, and effectually ruin unselfishness in our family than permitting our minds to go in negative negative channels. And as an example of that, um, a while ago, we were having family worship, and we had had this great worship, and we knelt down to pray, and we have this golden retriever. And he's still a puppy. He actually just turned one on Friday, but any of you that are familiar with the golden retriever breed, they don't really mature until a lot later on they may mature physically but they do not mature mentally they're very puppy all the way through and so anyway we had had this great prayer and admiral was over in the corner he was lying down and being a good dog during prayer just being decent the way a dog should behave and so i wasn't thinking that he was going to do anything so we kneeled down for prayer and halfway through prayer something seized admiral and i don't know what mischievous spirit got into him but he came over to me in the middle of prayer. I had not been doing anything. I was you know, kneeling with my hands folded in my lap. And he comes running over and starts trying to wrestle with me. Now, I'll have to, be, I'll have to admit that I am the one most likely to indulge Admiral in rough play. He really likes to have rough play once in a while. And not many of my family members are willing to enter into rough play with him. And I am. So if Admiral does get to be under his bonnet to wrestle with someone, he most likely targets me because he knows I'm the one most likely to indulge him <laughs> so anyway during but this is during prayer so I'm trying to keep him quiet and I'm you know, trying to keep my hands full of my lap and he's getting his head under my lap and flinging my arms around and I'm like he's like 65 pounds so he weighs over half what I do so I can't really keep him quiet and I was trying to restrain him but then he thought I was wrestling with him so he's getting more excited and when by the time the end of prayer it was you could hear obviously that the dog was trying to wrestle with me and so when prayer ended Joshua looks over at me and he's like, Natasha. What did you do to provoke Admiral to wrestle with you? Because you must have done something. And I thought, what would I do to provoke the dog to wrestle with me during prayer? How irreverent. I would never do something like this. Okay, this is how I react. Now, where is my focus? It's on me. I would never do such a, How dare you think that of me? I would never do something like that. Well, I, I forgot. I gave him some response saying, you know, my, declaring my innocence. But... <laughs>
4: The reason that I suspected that she had done something to provoke the dog is because about 95% of the time when she's wrestling with the dog, it's because she provoked him to do so. Uh, Oh,
3: well, yeah, I have a lot of fun with him. But anyway, (laughs) I was really guiltless that time. And so anyway, I took offense because I thought, you know what? I would never do anything to provoke the dog to wrestle with me during prayer. This is when we're talking to God. Joshua, obviously, I am often guilty of this crime, but, I mean, not of doing it during prayer, but of provoking the dog to wrestle with me. So anyway, I started letting my mind go down in these thoughts. And I, I'll be perfectly honest, I am ashamed of this, but my, my focus was a selfish one. Because it was, I felt that he did not think high enough of me or my standards. And so I was allowing my mind to go down this, this track of negative thoughts. And for the next half hour, that, that, that situation passed, and you know, we weren't talking about it anymore. But for the next half hour, suddenly Joshua could do no, no right in my eyes because it's like, oh, he did this, and oh, he thinks this of me. And all. and because I was permitting my mind to go down in this negative track, it ruined my happiness for a full half hour. And at the end of the half hour, God's like, Natasha, what are you doing? I was like, okay, I'm sorry. And so I went back to Josh and I apologized to him for permitting, for permitting myself to take offense at that. You know, one other thing, in our family, as we were... Speaking on the negative thoughts track, um, last winter, so about, just about a year ago, um, Shantae was visiting a friend of hers and they were going to a depression recovery seminar. And so she came back and Shantae had gotten this idea that I guess is in maybe Neil Nudley's book or something about this uh, negativity fast. And you're supposed to go on this fast from negative words or thoughts for two weeks. So Shinte, and if you fail part way through the two weeks starts over. Well, Shantae came back and she's like, I really think we should do this as a family. Well, we, we talked about it for a little while and we decided to make the negativity fast one week. <laughs> That's because we didn't know if we would make the two weeks. So we decided to do the one week fast. And so we started it. And I declare to you, you know, obviously, we're the farthest thing from depressed ever. We have a happy family. We laugh. We talk all the time. But we found out, I, I would encourage you, all of you to go on this, whether you are depressed or not depressed, because it is the neatest thing. We went on this, and we started finding out how many negative words escape our lips. Just, you know, not, not because we're unhappy, we're, but just because, you know, for instance, I'm up in my room. I'm looking outside. I see the dog running into the horse's pasture. The horse is running around and kicking and bucking, and I'm like, tearing downstairs to try to get outside before the dog gets his head kicked off, and I'm like, dumb dog, he's going to get gonna get killed. This is what I'm thinking of myself. Well, that we would reset for if, if we said it out loud. Or, classic example, just this morning, we were in our hotel room, and somebody had just come out of the shower, and somebody was about to go in, and we were talking about those little... little bottles, little dispensers, a shampoo and conditioner, <laughs> and shower gel on your walls in the bathroom. And when you press it, this little tiny comes out like that. And we were like, if you want to get any, like, credible amount of shower gel, you're like <inaudible> <reciprocal> And we were like, that is the most ridiculous system ever. And we would have reset for that if we were still on a negativity fast. I tell you, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say, but it took us a month to complete our negativity fast because we kept on resetting. We were like coming to the, we would, we started making it further. You know, we first we were starting early in the week, and then we started making it three days, and we would reset, and then four days, and we would reset. I tell you one really awesome thing about that negativity fast is it makes negativity really ugly to you because when you reset, especially when you're like at five days and you slip up and you reset, negativity is the ugliest thing in the world. So i would encourage you to go on and it revolutionized the way we let our minds uh, think and the way we let our words come out and it was um, such a blessing in our family
5: there's another little thing natasha talked about unselfishness and one of the things that my mind has been really exercised on lately in my life is the graces that brighten family life i love that little phrase love that little quote listen to this statement the, principles, the principle inculcated by the injunction, be kindly affection one to another, lies at the very foundation of domestic happiness. Christian courtesy should reign in every household. It is cheap, but it has power to soften nations which would grow hard and rough without it. The cultivation of a uniform courtesy, a willingness to do by others as we would like them to do by us, would banish half the ills of life." Did you hear that? This is cheap but it banishes half the ills of life. She calls it the foundation of domestic happiness. Well, friends, if it's the foundation, let's not skip merrily past it while we try to build the walls. Let us rather give proper attention to these little things in our lives. God has been working on my heart lately in this very area, and I've come to the conviction that there is much more that I can do in my home, in my family, to brighten the lives of those around me. And you know, I feel a real responsibility to do that because while, as Shente mentioned, we are hanging on to the last few moments, we suspect, of life together as a family, life in our house, ministry together, we realize that God is using this as a training ground for the next stage of our lives. I don't want to move on to being, instead of a a son in my house, uh, a father and a husband in my new household and have to totally restart and relearn and, you know, step back in Christian life. God wants us to move on from victory to greater victory. So for all you students, for all you young people out there, I would encourage you whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's a little family in your dorm room or you know whatever apply these principles now so that as you move on to the next stage in life you can take those principles with you and they will really be a blessing in your next home in your next family Um, just little examples doing dishes Um, doing you know we all do our own separate laundry in our house but we all use the same washer and dryer so if I come to the dryer to put my stuff in and Joshua's stuff is in there It only takes three minutes to fold his little pile of clothes, you know? And what a smile it puts on his face. Um, Another thing that I love to do, and I I have several friends that do this too, keep a little pad of sticky notes, you know, post-it notes, even just the mini, mini ones in your pocket and a pen. And once a day, draw a little smiley face on it, or I-L-Y, and stick it on somebody's something in the house. You would be surprised how long they keep a little sticky note with three little letters or a smiley face or a heart little things but they brighten family life another little thing you can do thank the cook every single don't make it a habit never to get up from the table without thanking the cook for the food you thanked god at the beginning thank the cook at the end smile (laughs) smiling is a smiling is a little thing but do you know how far it goes Say, I love you. Wink at your siblings. If you're a husband or wife, wink at your wife. Wink at your husband. Wink at your children. It's just a little thing that says, we're on the same page. We're together. I love you. I'm thinking about you.
3: Yeah, I have to tell something on this dear boy here. Um, (laughs) About a year ago, he decided that because he was growing up and likely to be out of our home, um, you know, fairly soon, he decided that he made this commitment that he would do the dishes for us girls every meal. And so we girls are in charge of cleanup, kitchen cleanup, but we clean the, um, you know, we clean the counters and Sean is there at the sink every single meal doing the dishes. You don't know how much that means to us.
5: Uh, my friends, you know, it's fun. It is fun. It is fun to serve. It is fun to give. And I have found, you know, that same thing in, in our family, just the joy that it increases, not only in my family. Of course, I love to have happy sisters, and you have no idea what kind of food they make for us. It's like, ha I'll do dishes. No problem. You know? But just that little things, little things that take five minutes, two minutes, five seconds. They're little things, but they're fa- the foundation of domestic happiness.
4: Okay, brethren, I want to talk just a couple more minutes on this binding the hearts together. The principle of binding our hearts together so that we can truly be a unified family under God. Now, again, Sean Sean did mention it, but for all of the students here, the, the med and dent students, I want you to know that even though you may not have a family at this point with young people, that you can implement these principles right now. If we store them in our hearts, then it will be able to transform the next generation of families. So, none of us can just put ourselves in cruise here. We all have to listen because these are important principles for all of us. Now, today in today's society, the concept of family is totally confused. I'm talking about like secular society. Even in in the Christian world, in Christendom as a whole, the concept of family is totally confused. I, I went and I looked at the definition of family in the dictionary, and this is what I came across. It's kind of a sociological perspective of family. It says Family, primary social group. Now, that's true, uh, although these days Facebook is probably going to be taking over pretty soon. People descended from a common ancestor. Again, that's not necessarily true, but it is as well correct. A social unit living together. Now, again, that's true, but that's not always true because, brethren, I mean, you agree with me that just because you're living together doesn't mean that you're a family, right? Right? So, there is so much more to the picture of family than the dictionary puts it. And and if we were to go to, uh, say, a little Bartholomew from some Christian school somewhere, and we were to ask him, what's your definition of family? He might come up with something like this. And again, remember, this is a good conservative Christian school. This Bartholomew might say that family i got to find my definition here from little Bartholomew. Oh, yes. A father to bring home the bacon, so to speak, or if he's really conservative, to bring home the veggie bacon. A mother to keep the family happy at the meal table, that is, if they eat together. And siblings to be housemates that share the, last, the, the same last name. And again, that's not always the same either. And unfortunately, that is the perspective of the world as a whole. But friends, we as Seventh-day Adventist Christians have so much more behind the world, the word family. The Lord has so much in mind. And I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of what that would be. What God's perspective of families should be. If you can imagine, you know, I'm a believer in the power of one. Are you not? One individual can have so much influence over so much. They can change the world. Just one that is connected with God. Now imagine that same person linked together closely with a bunch of other individuals in a family unit that are together brainstorming and that are lending their influence against the enemy. That's incredible power. You know, we, we as a Neblet family, we uh, have meetings quite often Uh, Just discussing different ministry possibilities and opportunities and stuff. And we playfully call ourselves the board of directors. So we're the Neblet family, board of directors. And we have board of director meetings quite often. And actually, I just have to tell you this little story. It's kind of amusing. A couple weeks ago, we were in one of these um, board meetings as a family. And um, it's, you know, sometimes board meetings, I'm sure all of you have sat on some kind of a board sometime in your life. Board meetings can get quite tedious sometimes if you're going through a lot of details. Well, it can be the same as we're having our family board meetings. So one time, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we were having one of these meetings and the girls found, you know those calendars and they have like a, the, a sticker book in the back that say appointments, you know, good weather, camping, whatever, you know, that you can put on your calendar. Well, there was one, the, some of the stickers that said meeting. Well, the girls picked off all of these stickers that said meeting. And we were sitting in our board of directors meeting and they put all the stickers on all of our foreheads going around the room. And the rule was that if we were paying attention, we had the honor of keeping our sticker on. But as soon as we started checking out, they'd take the sticker off. <laughs> so, but we enjoy, we enjoy meeting together as a family and planning strategic stabs at the enemy's agenda. <laughs> you know? Ha, I bet I surprised you enemy, devil. That's what the Lord wants us to do. And, and can you imagine the power? You know, board meetings. You figure a lot of stuff out, right? Can you imagine having a board living together to where you can have these board meetings and plan these strategic moves against the enemy every week? It's incredible. And that's, that's I think, the power that the Lord wants to instill into all of our families if we're willing to, take him, to t- willing to allow him to take us there. But the question is, how do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where your family is willing to sit down and strategically plan? Well, we believe one of the the greatest areas is spending time binding the hearts together. Because if if your hearts are not bound together, you're not going to spend time playing together, you're not going to spend time planning together, and you're not going to spend time working together. So some of the things that we've done to help bind our hearts together... Um, you know, it's just the simple stuff. We, we made up this word. It's called familiness. You can't find it in the dictionary, but it's, it's something that we think describes the action and the interaction that happens in our family. And familiness is all about being together, loving being together, planning, working, playing, everything in a spirit of familiness. And, and I'll explain a little bit about, about what this is. You know, we have some friends that continually inspire us when it comes to this area of familiness. Uh, just, just very simple things. Um, one of the, the young people decided that he wanted to do a push-up program, 100 push-ups, 100 consecutive push-ups in like six weeks. And so he was just telling the family one time, yeah, I want to do this push-up program, and everybody was like, oh, well, we should all do that together. So sure enough, three nights a week, the whole family's on the floor, the girls included, doing push-ups, to do this 100 push-ups in six weeks. Well, we heard about that, and we were like, ha, that sounds like a great idea. So actually, we're doing push-ups here as well. We did them in the hotel just the other night, all six of us. But it's, it's doing things together and enjoying it together. You know, physicians you have, uh, and, and dentists, you have a wonderful opportunity. Every evening when Father comes home, we love to hear the things that he's been going through during the day. You might not think that your children might be interested, but actually you might be surprised. We love to hear, you know, the emergencies that came in, different situations the Father was dealing with, just because it's, it's a totally different world, but yet we've grown up in it, and we absolutely love to enter in with him into that world as well. But don't be discouraged, friends. Don't be discouraged if you're attempting to bind your hearts together, especially if your young people are older, and you're starting a little bit later on in this process, and things aren't happening as quickly as they should. You know, the Lord has promised that if we rely fully on him, he will bless us. And the answer may not be exactly what we're thinking. It should be or that it will be, but the Lord will bless us in our efforts. And as you, as you continue to make these efforts to bind the hearts together, um, again, as I said, the young people might not grasp the vision right away. But as you continue in the process, their hearts will be changed and your hearts will be bound together. It's many other simple things. We've, we've done family time where every evening consistently we come together and we do something fun together as a family. Um, back when we were younger, that looked a little bit more like playing hide-and-go-seek. Or we used, to read, um, we used to love to listen to Father read us books. We would find some fascinating story about the Huguenots being persecuted or whatever, you know. And so every evening it was just like a cliffhanger. We'd love to get back to the story so we could hear. So Father would read to us. We'd do other stuff that we would enjoy together. Now, as we're growing older and we we are more of a family of adults, you could say, and we all have our separate lives in a way, even though we're still living under the same roof, we really enjoy talking. So these these days, our family time consists of just sitting around the living room and discussing the things that we've been going through, discussing um, the future and uh, different things like that. But the important thing is not the particular activity. It will be different for everyone. But find something that your family enjoys doing together, something that will bind the hearts together. And you know, friends, as I said at the beginning, if we do this and we allow God to bind our hearts together, the enemy will tremble. Because he knows that together, if we're planning together, we're having fun together, if we're working together against his cause, that God will bless our efforts and he will truly suffer. So that is our prayer, that that we will all grasp that vision of what not only one individual can do, but a family. The father, when he comes home from work, and he's visiting with his family, and they're planning about ways that they can serve God together, the power that God can have with that unit.
0: What a challenge. What a challenge to try to cram it all in. So this is what we're going to do. It's time for us to close, and we know that As the Holy Spirit calls to your hearts and their ideas and their thoughts, there are things that we can do as grandparents with our grandchildren, as grandparents with our grown children and their families, with our young children if we still have them in the home. Just ask the Lord what he would have you to do. And do it one thing at a time. Don't bite off the whole thing. But what we're going to do is that at the close of this message, we're going to stay behind. And we're going to take a few minutes to answer any questions that you might have as a family. Uh, because we want to be sensitive to the time that we have remaining. And I know Maria wanted to have one more word or two, which we love to hear. And so then we will have prayer. We will ask that we join in groups of two and or three. And then what we will do is I will close with prayer. And then we'll have Q&A afterwards. Go ahead, dear.
1: I just want to say, first of all, as they've been giving you random details of, you know, familyness and It's our responsibility, parents, to begin to create that pleasant atmosphere in the home, to show ourselves loving, to enter into their interests with them so that a a relationship with us becomes pleasant. Then they follow that example to as siblings with one another. So, um, But I want to say one more thing, and that is if you are sitting here today feeling regret, thinking, oh, okay, that would be a good thing to do, but it's too late. You know, my children are out of the home. They don't really, they're not interested in being um, with me. If you have wayward children, you are not alone. God has a multitude of wayward children, but his heart of love yearns for them. And is ever in pursuit of their hearts. And he will not let them go until he has done everything in heaven and earth to win them. To to win them back to him. To save them. Um, You nor your children. If your children have, have gone from the Lord, none of you have gone beyond the amazing grace and mercy of our God. You know, we can think, as we as we begin to look at those principles, as we begin to read Child Guidance, I know as I've um, counseled women, you know, go to Child Guidance. It is just loaded with practical. They say, I get discouraged when I read that book. Um, and, and she says, you know, parents, as they see these things, may ask who is sufficient for these things. But God has promised to give us wisdom. It is the devil who wants us to be Um, in discouragement and be paralyzed, but there is hope. There is always hope. He is pleased with the faith that takes him at his word. Um, Here's a passage that that I just love. uh, She says, the mother of Augustine prayed for her son's conversion. She saw no evidence that the Spirit of God was impressing his heart, but she was not discouraged. She laid her finger upon the text's presenting before God his own words, and she pleaded as only a mother can. Her deep humiliation, her earnest importunities, her unwavering faith prevailed, and the Lord gave her the desire of her heart. Today he is just as ready to listen to the petitions of his people. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Even if you did all the wrong things when your children were with you, and even if your children are still with you, but they're in their teens and they're just not tuned into the family, neither is his heart heavy that it cannot hear. Um, and if ch- his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And if Christian parents seek him earnestly, he will fill their mouths with arguments and for his namesake will work mightily in the behalf of their children. There are two things that you can do. Jesus said as he was praying for his disciples, for their sakes I sanctify myself. You may not be able to control or to, you know, to do anything to change your children and the course they are in right now, but you can change yourself and your life can become a par- powerful argument. And number two, the prayer of the righteous. As you are consecrating yourself to God, the prayer of the righteous availeth much. We want to end we're going
0: to end with a song and then Raja will pray for us all. Those who are really hungry and need to head to breakfast can do so and those who would like to stay behind are free to do so. So, We want to sing a song that Sean wrote, right? <laughs>
6: there is a place
5: earth that stands unrivaled in its worth. It
6: is a home where Jesus reigns and angels love. Shines through the night As proof that a family can stand When their home is in Jesus' hands
4: There are times when the world looks dark When wind and storm have left their mark When clouds have covered up the sun, and all is cold and gray.
6: Home is a light in the land A beacon so bright it shines through the night As proof that a family can stand When their home is in Jesus' hands There is a call for every soul Father, mother, boy and girl, to live a life that speaks of love and service
7: <laughs> um, what we're going to do now is, um, I'm going have, to have an announcement to make, and then after that, we will pray. And whoever would like to stay, there's going to be a few minutes of question and answer with the Nablut family. There's been a special request for that. Otherwise, uh, whoever would like to go to breakfast, you're most welcome to. Um, um, Win and Wellness exhibit booth will be open for an hour after breakfast. So. Um, actually all the um, principles or the, um, what the, what the Nablus family is following is really from scripture and it is so important not only in a family context but at work with your fellow, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your acquaintances it is so vital and as they said one of them said a change in one person's life causes a change in everyone around them. I know it from personal experience. It's just an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much. God bless you. And God bless every one of you. Um, And thank you so much for attending. Would you want to say a hearty amen for amen? I'm so happy that you all stayed this morning and uh, God bless every one of you. Let's say a word of prayer and then whoever would like to leave for breakfast, that's fine. And then whoever would like to stay for question and answer, you're most welcome to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, the Lord, for this privilege to be part of this organization. Thank you so much for all the programs that we've heard. Thank you for the Nublet family. What a joy to hear every one of them give their testimony. Dear Lord, bless them in a special way. Have them continue this. Rebuke the evil one off of them, dear Lord. Bless every family present here and every representative. Dear Lord, you know every member inside out better than they know themselves. Take care of them, dear Lord, in every way. Heal where healing is needed. Bless where a blessing is needed and help us to all be so ready so when Jesus comes on the clouds of glory, whether we're alive or dead, we'll be up there getting raised up and flying up to meet him, looking around and seeing each other and smiling because we're going to spend eternity in bliss. Thank you so much for hearing us in your prayer. The Lord, be with everyone as they leave To go home, give him travel safety, protect him from every harm and illness, and help him to glorify your name in every word and action. For I pray in the precious name of my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and honor and glory be to you my Heavenly Father forever and ever. Amen.
4: This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.